communication, the definition is literally the ability to share thoughts, feelings, and ideas in commonly comprehensible ways. So I think that there are mediums, like social media is a media in which communication can take place. That does not mean it's quality communication. No different than McDonald's is a place where food can be cooked. It does not mean that there's quality uh, food being cooked. But literally in any aspect of life, it's the people that are the worst communicators that are usually part of the problem. Hello, my fellow humans, and welcome back to another episode of the Healthy, Happy Human Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Levitin, and every week I bring you discussions on topics to help you build a healthy mind, a happy body, and hopefully become an all-around better human. Because a rising tide raises all ships, and better humans make a better humanity. Remember, we're all in this together. If you want to keep on this journey with me, you can subscribe to the Healthy Happy Newsletter a weekly Friday email where I send out tips and tidbits of the things that I've been learning about and powerful quotes and just general helpful resources that I think will help you on your journey. It's completely free and the link to register is in the show notes. If while you're listening today, you're enjoying what you hear, take a second and snap a quick screenshot and upload it to Instagram and tag me at Paul Levitin so I can share in your enthusiasm and repost it to my audience. It really makes my day to see these. And If you get value from today's show, don't forget to share this episode with a friend or family member so that they can get some value along with you. And with that, it's time to start today's episode. Let's go and let's grow. Today, my guest is Brett Bartholomew. Brett is a strength and conditioning coach, a consultant, and a founder of the company Art of Coaching. His experience includes working with professional athletes, members of the United States Special Forces, and executives of Fortune 500 companies all over the world. Taken together, Brett has coached athletes from 23 different sports all over the globe at levels ranging from youth athletes all the way up to Olympians. He's even supported numerous Super Bowl and World Series championship teams, along with several professional fighters from both boxing and the UFC. Brett is also a self-published best-selling author of the book Conscious Coaching, The Art and Science of Building Buy-In, a book that I personally love and I will have the link to that in the show notes. You know, as an advisor and an entrepreneur, Brett has supported the strategic growth of two separate performance companies and is a highly sought after consultant and a mentor for many others across the entire world. And that's why I'm so honored that I was able to get him on the show today. Because on a personal level, I have learned a lot from Brett. He's one of the people who has mentored me from afar for years without ever actually knowing it. I read his book. I followed him on social media since I was just starting out as a personal trainer. And now I'm fortunate enough to have been able to meet Brett in person multiple times. His podcast, The Art of Coaching, is one of the shows that I listen to regularly, and I highly recommend that you check it out. Uh, It's not just for coaches, it's for communicators. And as you'll hear on this episode, communication is for everyone. And this is the exact reason why I wanted to have Brett on the show and to introduce you to him. So listen up, get your pen and your notepad handy, and be ready to take action on building your communication skills. And welcome, Brett Bartholomew. All right, Brett. First question here, I'm going to start you off with a softball, all right? How important is communication as a skill for the average person? Yeah, well, I mean, I'd say the fact that it is literally the reason we're at the top of the food chain, pretty important, right? Um, People are not, we're not as strong as gorillas. We are not as fast as cheetahs. 
Uh, we cannot swim as well as dolphins. Literally, we are the preeminent social animal in the world, which is why we're on the top of the food chain. So I think communication is not only a critically important skill, I would say that without our ability to communicate at a high level, that uh, we are likely to get eaten, outhunted, or outmaneuvered by something else. And there's a litany of data that that proves that. And if people aren't convinced by that, literally the worst punishment you can do to another human being is social isolation. So we know that when people go into social isolation in prison or anything like that, a part of the brain actually shrinks. So whether you're looking at mental health, whether you're looking at our ability to thrive or survive as a species, whether you're looking at our ability to create and really maintain relationships, it all is contingent upon communication. I think you could even argue, you're looking at what's going on in uh, Russia and Ukraine, right? Any kind of war or military conflict is usually predicated on a miscommunication or discrepancy of ideologies, which ultimately comes down to how human beings make sense of and understand one another. Yeah, I think that's that's huge. And like you said, the way that we are as humans is, is based on communications. And obviously, you know, things like during COVID, we saw as people began to be more and more isolated, the huge effect that that's had and is going to have even for coming years on children and, and things like that. So I can see how important that is. So then my question is like, in my experience, in the past, at least communication, communications, maybe have been kind of seen as a joke. Like my, one of my degrees in undergrad is literally communications. And it was like, when I told people I major in communication, they're like, oh, like you took the, you'd like, oh, that's like a joke one, you know, like that's like, that, that's not, that's not like a real thing, you know? So why do you think that people kind of like gloss over this as from your talking, like we can see that it's not just important. It is like the most important thing. Yeah. I mean, th that's a first to me. Um, but I mean, I can, I can appreciate the fact that anybody, uh, based on something that they perceive to be easier, not well understood, they'll, uh, you know, they, they might just misinterpret. I mean, the leadership industry on average spends about $365 billion a year on communication. Um, you know, most companies, fortune 500 companies have communications directors, uh, you know, communication literally can influence the rise or fall of the stock price and economics. And so I, you know, I can't speak to why those individuals might think communications degrees are a joke. Uh, I, I think that it's a real simple retort. If people don't think communication is important, go ahead and communicate in an awful manner and see how much your life improves. And it probably won't be much, right? Like by and large, better communicators get paid more. They get more opportunities. Uh, they're going to have greater life satisfaction and a whole host of issues. I mean, at the end of the day, if there's two people that are equally skilled in any kind of tactic or technical knowledge, the thing that's going to separate them at the highest level of leadership is their ability to interact and problem solve conceptually. So, you know, I think that there is a, a, a point where people devalue what's invisible, right? And this is something that Joe Rogan kind of talked about as well. Like if somebody can do a cool trick on a skateboard or juggle knives or, you know, do whatever skill, like you can see that, right? Um, communication, people don't see somebody performing that on some talent show. That said, it is entirely contingent on the outcomes you see. You know, I believe it was a 2015 article said that $12 billion a year is lost in medical lawsuits due to poor bedside manner, even if the medical condition is solved. So, you know, when people say, hey, uh, if people say, hey, that's not important, you know, I think if they just look at their life and think, man, is there ever a time I put my foot in my mouth? Is there ever a time that I maybe embarrassed myself, said something I shouldn't have, missed an opportunity? But at the end of the day, I, I think most people that, if there's anybody that thinks that stuff is a joke, 
that that should be a warning sign. I think of it like Ray Dalio said about investing. He worries, he doesn't worry about people that are concerned, right? He's concerned about people that don't worry. So by and large, people that think they're good at communication or think that they've already got it locked in are usually the biggest problem. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense to me. And and to just to explain, like when I'm saying that, like at least where I went to college, you know, again, like communications was seen kind of like the easy thing because again, you know, if you are a pre-med or if you are, you know, you become a doctor, if you are, a, you know, going to law school, you become a lawyer, but communications, and especially based on what you're saying, it's like, okay, like you, there's no tangible outcome to that. Right. It's like, I, what do I become a communicator? Like, I, don't I already do that? And like, and then to kind of, that kind of makes me think it's like, don't we live in a world that's so full of communication already, right? Like, uh, like between social media and between my phone, that's always buzzing me and always zapping me. Like how much more communication can I seek to have? Yeah. I mean, I think we live in a world where there's an abundance of food as well, but some of it is junk food. Uh, we live in an abundance. Uh, we, there's an abundance of, uh, things that you can buy. Some of it is absolute trash. So, you know, the, just because something happens or is available does not make it quality, right? And so communication, the definition is literally the ability to share thoughts, feelings, and ideas in commonly comprehensible ways. So I think that there are mediums, like social media is a media in which communication can take place. That does not mean it's quality communication, no different than McDonald's is a place where food can be cooked. It does not mean that there's quality uh, food being cooked. So uh, again, I, I, w- I would look at anybody. I, I find that less and less do I ever have to substantiate why communication is important because most people can find somebody in their life that is a horrible communicator and they waste their time, their energy, their money. These are people that by and large don't put themselves in other people's shoes. They're very transactional. They kind of come from a place of what I have to talk about and what I have to say is important. I mean, Will Smith just bitch smacked. Uh, Chris Rock on the Oscars, right? Like you could look at that as a failure to communicate, but literally in any aspect of life, it's the people that are the worst communicators that are usually part of the problem. Um, and so that's that's the thing that you see is there are parts of the population that have the Dunning-Kruger or, or kind of fall for the Dunning-Kruger effect or the better than average effect where they think they're highly skilled at something that they're really awful at. Um, and that's usually, I mean, part and parcel of people that generally have obscenely high confidence generally have the lowest competence because people that put skin in the game know just how difficult something is, much like I boxed competitively in college. I do not actively go look to fight and I know how to fight. I know how to shoot a gun. I do not actively go seek reasons to shoot a gun, um, but I'm trained in those things. I know how to wield them. And so, you know, people need to understand how to wield the most powerful skill of all. And that's the skill of relatability and understanding, which in fact is communication. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. Right. I mean, Dunning-Kruger and the, I think I know more than I do effect is it's pervasive in our society, but I think that it's, I don't think it's so much like that people think communication is important because again, I think anyone would listen to what you're saying and be like, yeah, I agree with that. I think it's more the fact that they don't think about it at all. Right. So like, and you, and you could say like, logically, like when, when someone hears the, this laid out, like you were presenting it right now, like people would be like, well, yeah, that probably is something that I should be better at or something that affects me every day, every waking moment. So it's probably kind of important. So then that kind of leads me to my next question, which is if that's so logical, 
why are facts and logic not enough to help people change? Yeah, I mean, they're not in any aspect of life, right? Uh, people know that they need to work out or move. People know that they need to brush their teeth. People know that they should say they're sorry. People know that they should get more sleep. Uh, by and large, we devalue simple things. Bottom line, we devalue simple things because people have an inherent need to want to make things more complex than they are. It's also self-handicapping behavior. People like to revel in complexity because it gives them an excuse to do nothing, really, you know, and and continue to do what's called the act shaping, where, you know, they just continue to find different permutations of the work that really aren't the work. It's that classic idea of, you know, somebody decides, oh, I need to write a research paper for school. But then all of a sudden they just start going more more down a rabbit hole of more and more research. And then they do this. And pretty soon they're not even researching the thing that they need to write the paper, but they're making themselves feel like they're productive by looking at the research. So it's no more simple than people devalue the things that come, uh, you know, that are the most simple. It's why most people on their deathbed say, right? Like, what, what do you regret? What do you wish you would have done? They say they wish they would have taken more chances, gone more places, had better relationships, all these kinds of pieces. I think the real question people should ask themselves, and this is something we asked people in my doctorate when we did semi-structured interviews is, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how do you rank yourself as a communicator? And by and large, most of the participants above 90% would say something around a seven or an eight. And then when you ask them, you know, what tool they utilize to give them that score, most of them then chuckled in irony saying, I mean, nothing, I guess that's just my opinion. And, and another one went as far as to say is, I think I'm a good communicator because people do what I say. That's really scary, you know? And he recognized what he had said after that. He's like, my God, that sounds awful. You know, because there is a difference between commitment and compliance. Just because somebody does what you said, man, that could be because they were coerced, because they felt threatened. And, you know, the whole point of my book, Conscious Coaching, uh, like was about understanding what buy-in is. Buy-in is trust plus commitment. I feel good about you, Paul, and I feel good about what you're asking me to do. I'm dedicated. And when I have better buy-in, which comes from better communication, by and large, you're going to have better engagement, increased effort, and with increased effort and engagement, you're going to have better outcomes. Yeah. So, I mean, I completely agree with everything, right? And I love your book, by the way. Anyone listening should should check it out. I, I, I read it uh, multiple times, actually. Um, and the thing that I'm wondering is, I, I understand the concept of buy-in, right? Because as a coach, this is something that I've always, even when I was a personal trainer, when I was a nutrition coach, anytime it's like, I'm trying to get someone else to change and whenever to get them to do the change, I need to have buy-in. I need to believe that what I'm telling them is the right course of action, that I'm guiding them in the right direction. But my question is, what about what I would call what, like personal buy-in, meaning I want to change but I'm not doing the change. I don't have a, I don't have a leader guiding me. I don't have someone else. It's just something that like I'm saying, how do I get the buy-in from myself to do the things like you said that you know you need to be doing and yet they're the easiest things to do, but I continually find myself not doing that. Yeah, so help me understand. Do you feel like that? Are, are you speaking more from a standpoint of somebody that deals with imposter phenomenon or procrastination? What, what, so give me a problem that this person might deal with so I can sure. better understand. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm talking about someone who is the prototypical, let's say I want to start a business, right? I'm in a, I'm in a job that I'm unhappy with and it's a nine to five, which is like, I, I, it pays the bills. I make, it makes the money. And I know I have these ideas and I'm, I'm watching on social media. And I'm watching all these people create their business. And every day I go home and I say, I'm going to, today's going to be the day, but then I find myself watching Netflix and I find myself on the weekends going out for drinks and not doing the thing. And then weeks go by, months go by, and it just doesn't happen. 
Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, John Locke would say that there's really two reasons people do things to either uh, go towards pleasure or avoid pain. Now, those things can manifest themselves in myriad ways, right? And we have a we have a drives quiz people can take. If any listeners are interested, they just go to artofcoaching.com, what drives you. Um, but you know, even if you look at Kurt Lewin, who went a little bit deeper than Locke and said there's five main reasons, and we'll just talk about a few of them here. You know, generally when people don't change one part of that is tradition and they just believe what they're doing is actually okay, or it's good enough. It's good enough based on where they're at right now. Right. And that's that whole idea of like we've always done it this way. Uh, which feeds into comfort, which again, keeps people from wanting to go towards undesirable feelings. Uh, perception. Some people might not believe the change is necessary at all. You know, I look at my father like this, who's, uh, he has an aortic aneurysm and is type two diabetic. You know, I have a master's degree in exercise physiology, motor learning, all this, but no matter what I know, my father is not going to change. Uh, he perceives it as being too late in the game for him to really change. And there's nothing you or I or anybody else is going to do to convince of that. You know, he's in his later years. His dad died in his fifties. You know, my dad's just like, this is what it is. And it's going to take too much to change it. So I'm dealing with it. Another thing is suppression. Some people don't do it because they feel threatened. They feel threatened mainly. Uh, now this is more of like, if somebody in the workplace, let's say you're my superior and um, you know, I'm making moves in the company and you have the ability to kind of keep me under your thumb, right? Because you feel threatened. That can be a reason. Um, and then, you know, just by and large, man, it just comes down to, you know, vision. Some people just lack the confidence. You know, they lack the confidence. Maybe they've done something before. They got rejected. I mean, these things can be as complex as deeply rooted childhood issues, right? Or they can be as simple as, man, that shit's hard. Um, I look at this as well. I got to finish my doctorate, you know? And what keeps me from writing today will be, well, Prior to this conversation with you, I've had four meetings. I'm getting a bit antsy. I got to go pick up my son from daycare. I got to do this and this and this. And I might not write tonight. And no matter how much I know I need to write, the fact is, is like just to try to get it all done and to do this, it's just, it's extra work, right? And so generally, if you look at people wanting to avoid pain, go towards pleasure, the fact that people lack in confidence, people overcomplicate things, people self-handicap because it's a narrative that allows that failure to be easier and more palatable. And then finally, also people have a, uh, an external locus of control. Most people are more comfortable blaming external circumstances than themselves. And, you know, we say this on our podcast, people are often so busy being busy that then they're like, ah, I can't do it. So of course, as you know, uh, given all your information in this space and your just how passionate you are, Nobody can give one reason why everybody does not change because there's a myriad factors. It depends on what part of the world, what age, what circumstances. But generally, generally, it does come down to loss aversion, our, our desire for comfort, our desire for predictability, and our desire uh, to you know just feel competent, which those things are all inherently challenged when we do difficult things. Yeah, definitely. And I, I always understand that whenever I ask questions like that, I, we're speaking in broad strokes that obviously can't uh, talk to everyone. And it's always funny. I get comments like that from people on like social media or, you know, about the podcast. They're like, well, you said that this and this, but it's not like that for me. And I'm like, well, yes, I understand that I'm not talking to every single of the 7 billion people on this earth when we talk like this. But for the most part, what I like to say is this is human stuff. And considering we are all humans, we all uh, tend to have the same struggles. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, so I actually just read this, this quote, uh, and then I just, you were just, as you were talking, this kind of just brought this to my mind. And I want to ask you what, if you agree with this or what this means to you, but the, the quote 
that I was that I read was by a, a author named Car- Carolyn Elliott, and what she said is having is evidence of wanting. And I was, yeah, that's 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 pretty meta. Um, I would have to think about having is evidence of wanting. I mean, I always hate when people do these little like Yoda quotes because it's almost like it's it's an attempt at wisdom in my opinion. And I'm sure she's a wonderful person, but it's an attempt at wisdom. But in reality, it's just it's it's veiled in ambiguity. Having is evidence of wanting. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that it's easy to say yes to that because people inherently, you know, they they will make any kind of emotional and rational, rational kind of backing to get something that they want. Um, but there's plenty of people that that want a lot of things and you can't you can't get them all, right? Like I'm not, if there's somebody right now that wants a Nobel Prize, they're not gonna get the Nobel Prize. It might not be in the right profession. And so I think that like that that's a problem with questions like that that are so broad. But I'm gonna say flatly disagree. Disagree. That's funny because I like I thought about it the opposite way. The way the reason I liked it because I've kind of been in this headspace recently of exactly that, right? It's like, but well, people tell me that they want something, but they don't have it. Like, oh, I want to create this business but you're not doing it. So like the fact that you haven't done it shows me that you actually don't want it that bad. Well, sure. I mean, but did. that context makes sense. I mean, but people generally, you can't expect people that lie to themselves to tell the truth, right? But there's also some people that want something that can't, not everybody's going to be a professional athlete. Not everybody's going to be a billionaire. Not everybody's going to be, you know, and even if they want it, even if they want it, you know, a tremendous amount, like, you know, being a billionaire, you got to do some pretty unethical, like nobody's got clean hands and is a billionaire, right? Um, but like for sure. And that's what I mean. These things are kind of shrouded in, and this is why people say these things, right? Yeah. Because people kind of get a debate and a debate us a larger crowd than an agreement. But for sure, I mean, people, uh, to your point, they say the worst thing you can do to somebody is actually give them what they want. And if you had to say there is something worse than that, if, if there was, it's taking it away from them. You know, if you give somebody what they want, whether that's fame, fortune, notoriety, respect, and then it's taken away. That is one of the worst things you can do to somebody. So some people are really scared of success, not because they don't want success, but they're scared to lose it. Yeah, I love what you just said about you. You can't ask someone uh, who lies to themselves to, to tell the truth. That 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 really uh, sums a lot of it up so perfectly. And yeah, you, you know, a lot of times you give someone what they want because when it is success, it's status, it's money, and then they realize that oh, that didn't change anything. Right? The money didn't make me happy. The, the, the promotion didn't make my wife love me. The, the thing that I was looking for that I thought was going to solve all my problems didn't solve all of my problems. And that can be an, an earth shattering moment, I think, for some people. And then, you know, it's like, well, where do I go from here? You know? Right. Yep. Absolutely. So, you know, I want to, I, I, I love, you know, one of the things that I've really been interested in, in you specifically, as I've watched your career for a long time, first from the sidelines before we actually knew each other, you know, been reading your books, following your stuff on social media and just seeing where you've gone with, with your, your business and everything. And it's like, how do you find the courage to transition everything you've worked on, your brand, your business, everything you've built and completely shift the focus just, and, and kind of leave everything else behind? Yeah. I mean, I think just the realization that you're supposed to evolve, you're supposed to grow. Uh, I'm a big music person. Jay-Z did not just continue rapping. He went on to own a record label, sign other artists, owns other companies, does those things. Dr. Dre did not just end with DJing. He went on to be a producer and a rapper and then a label owner and all these things. Uh, I, I actually think that it's maladaptive if you're only one thing the rest of your life. I mean, I don't know 
I don't know how anybody could consider that adaptive. Um, now, I think there was a time in my life where I was insecure about that because I worked really hard to get towards the top of our profession. I would never say I was at the top. That's completely subjective, right? But I'm pretty well known as a strength and conditioning coach. And I mean that humbly, but just also I'm not going to do the faux humility thing. Uh, but why should I only identify as that? You know, I can walk and chew gum. And so, I, you know, you looked around and my dentist was not just a dentist. He owned a practice. The chef is not just a chef. They own a restaurant. So for me, I have many interests. I enjoy helping many kinds of people. The core of who I am had nothing to do with fitness or performance. It has to do with coaching, right? So to coach is to guide, to lead, to orchestrate. So whether that meant, you know, helping somebody who was six foot three, 260 pounds, get faster or more mobile or, or stronger or more powerful, or it means helping Ernie, the Fortune 500 CEO, learn how to better get his message across so he can get out of his own way. Or somebody who comes to one of our workshops that's a firefighter that's trying to figure out how to, you know, uh, pass the captain's test and, and be able to be more fluid with his conversation. To me, that's coaching. And coaching is a manifestation of problem solving and relatability. So if you can put me in a situation where I can help people solve problems and, and, and do all those kinds of things, that's ultimately what interests me, which is why we started Art of Coaching is, uh, you know, you don't want to be one thing for the rest of your life. That's, uh, I don't know how you evolve. What's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, personally, I, I think that it's, you know, I actually am in a period of transition right now. So actually, it, as of recording this, this is Tuesday, I quit my full-time job of eight years last Friday. So it was my last day of work. Yeah, thank you. And that's why that's why I'm recording this from LA because I'm like, well, they don't have a job to go back to anymore. Um, but that came from exactly the same, you know, really the same uh, kind of path that you've been on, which is I started in fitness. I wanted to help people. I learned a lot about that. I, I really, not, not to say peaked out there, but again, I, I, there was, I did a lot there and it's just like, it just wasn't as interesting to me. It's just helping people in general. And that's even this podcast, the healthy, happy human. It's much more about the happy. And I focus much less on the healthy because I feel like there's so many people who have done that already. There's so many fitness podcasts. If you want to go argue the efficacy of a front loaded squat and a back loaded squat, like I can lay them off a hundred podcasts who are doing it better than I can. And if you want to talk about gut microbiomes or whatever stuff, it's just like, that's not where I want to be. What I want to be is helping people live better lives. And so now my, what my own career path has taken me is like, well, it's time to evolve. It's time to go on to the next thing, which is helping people do exactly what I'm doing, which is build a happy life, passionate life, a fulfilled life. And these are all things that I think are just as important. I, they're kind of in, 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 inextricable from you know, health and, and things like that, but it's mental, it's physical, but it's a full life where, uh, I don't know if you were there actually in Orlando when, when you were speaking, but before you went, Chris Duffin was, uh, spoke and he spoke about what he called total life alignment. And it, it really stood out. It really like met, said something to me because he basically said, he was like, I want a life where my business, my personal, my pleasure, my friends, my family, everything is aligned in the same way. So it's not like, I don't, I feel like I don't have to go on vacation because I, love the life that I live all the time. And sure. I get to talk about the things that I want to talk about with my friends or the same things that I talk about at work. And the, the content that I'm making is the stuff that I want to talk about. It's not the stuff that I have to talk about. And that really struck a chord with me. And you know, that as I, as exactly what you just said, if I just stayed where I was, when I started fitness, when I was 22, that, that you know, what, what is it that I'm going to, where I started at 22 is where I'm going to die at 80. It doesn't make any sense to me, you know? And I think that people yep, get already. Where do you think that, where do you think that tendency for so many people to get pigeonholed comes from? Where do you think that narrative comes from? 
Um, I like you flipping the script on me here. Um, it's, uh, I think it's safety, as you said, right? So I think that that safety is a huge thing. Um, it's the fear of failure, right? And it's uncertainty because if you had certainty, right? I, the analogy I give all the time is if I told you sign a contract today and in one year you will guaranteed get the result. It's a million dollars, right? You work on your business every day to, for the next 365 days and there's a million dollar check waiting for you. Guarantee you're going to find a way to do it, right? You're going to find a way to make the time to do it. If I told you, hey, if you do this workout every single day for the next however long, I guarantee you, you will have the body of your dreams in six months. I, I bet that the people will do it. But it's the fact that we always have some uncertainty. We don't know that the result is coming, right? And because we don't know the result is coming, we have that, we have these little thought demons that creep into our head like, hmm, is this really the right thing? Hmm, is this the best use of our time? Hmm, that, that couch is so comfy. And it, it kind of, it, 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 ekes its way into our brain. And because at an evolutionary level, right, I said, you know, uncertainty represents the fear of possible death, right? You know, the, the cave is safe. That's where the fire is. And that's where safety is. And outside of the cave, that's where you get eaten by jaguars. And that's where the snake bites you. And that's where the poisonous berry bush is. So we inherently inside of us, we fear change and we are attracted to safety. So all of these things add up to make us go like, well, you know, better not rock the boat. You know, why, why try what, you know, a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush, something like that. Yep. Yeah. It's a good take. So, you know, because we've talked about all of this stuff, we're talking about communication, the change, right? Another thing that you talk about a lot, which that I've learned a lot about from you is leadership in general. And something I think about leadership a lot. And the question I wanted to pose to you is, is there a difference between a leader and just a human? Um, you know, yes, there is, there is, but they're all stakeholders, right? I think that people need to understand that talking about leadership without talking about other humans or stakeholders that are involved is like talking about learning how to clap, but with only one arm, right? Like you, you have to be able to, these things are part and parcel, but yes, there are like in leadership, which is really a process of influence. That's what leadership is. Um, it's a process of influence. And by and large, it's also contingent on, on communication. You know, communication is not just the uh, simply a medium through which leadership happens to be exercised. It is part of the very substance of it. And so leaders have to, that there has to be a, di a differentiation between leaders and other stakeholders, even though they're all together right? Like leadership and being a leader are different things. Leadership is the leader, other stakeholders, and just other uh, aspects of the context and organization, right? They How they all come together to create the act of leadership. Um, but there, there, of course, is going to be certain people that are in leader-based positions and others that are in more stakeholder positions. So I think we have to differentiate when we're talking about leaders and leadership um, first when we talk about that, but yeah, I mean, there are humans that they, they might be leaders in their own household. They're not leaders on the macro side of things. There are, but, but their opinions matter and they do have power. And that's a big part of what my life is, is teaching people how to utilize and recognize the power they have, no matter where they fit in that stakeholder continuum. Yeah, exactly. That, that was a big a takeaway from, for me, from, uh, 
your course that I did was exactly that, that everyone is a leader in some capacity, right? Again, and, and same thing with persuasion, with communication, all of this stuff, you know, it seems like, oh, well, I don't have a, a team underneath me. It's like, well, do you have kids? Do you have a spouse? Do you have to convince your girlfriend where to go out for dinner with you today? Do you have to, you know, as you said, do you have a dad who has, uh, you know, maybe diabetes or a heart problem that you're trying to convince to be a little bit healthier? And all of these things are both leadership principles and communication principles and persuasion principles. So for people to kind of, I, I just, the reason I think this is important to talk about is because I think it's easy for people to gloss over this stuff and go, well, you know, like I'm just, uh, I'm just so-and-so I don't have, this is, this is not for me. This is over my head. And, that, and that's why I like, again, I always say this is human stuff. If you are a human, you, there's some way that this is going to impact your life or the lives of the people around you who you love. So it, it's not something that can just be like tossed to the side. Yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent, you know, and, and I think, uh, well, yeah, no, you said it perfectly there. Awesome. So the being that we are all quote unquote leaders now, right. We, we, we just, we just explained that how can we spot our blind spots? Maybe this is for the more organizational leader or the person who is like the leader of their family or, you know, but everyone is, you know, you mentioned Dunning-Kruger before, which I'll link to that in the show notes, a, a Wikipedia article, if anyone doesn't understand that principle, but we all have blind spots in life in general. So how can we best understand and then maybe fix those blind spots? Yeah. I mean, the, the simple thing is you need to get feedback because uh, a blind spot by definition is something you can't identify by yourself. And that's a big reason why we are, are huge on experiential learning and facilitated outputs with all of our workshops. You need to get around people of different professions, of different ages, different ethnicities, different everything to be able to help you at, answer the fundamental question of where might I be the problem? And the, the problem with kind of our society in terms of how it really defines learning right now is most people think if they read a book or listen to a podcast that, that they're learning and you're not learning unless you're experiencing teaching and reflecting really you know there there's so many people that have picked the brains of countless experts and listened to 8 million podcasts though they absolutely should listen to mine and yours um they've read all the books and they're no closer to wisdom than anything else because knowledge is not wisdom and and we don't have enough people actually experientially experientially enacting the things that they learn so I think if people want to identify blind spots, they need to put themselves on display uh, in terms of, you know, there needs to be actual consequences and conversations about these kinds of things so that they can understand how other people perceive them in the moment. Yeah, definitely. Um, can you give or do you have any specific examples that you can think of of yourself in times where maybe you had a blind spot that you didn't see and, and what how it was brought to your attention and, and through what feedback uh, mechanisms you you kind of saw it and were able to learn from it maybe? Sure. Every day. Uh, I think, you know, having a brand, having a brand, having a business, I, I probably wouldn't have social media whatsoever if I didn't have a business. I'm a pretty private person, but, you know, at the end of the day, people can't select what they cannot find. And so, you know, I think being able to just the feedback you get from Amazon reviews, the feedback you get from podcast reviews, you know, on average, I've taught in 26 countries and and I teach around, I fly around a hundred thousand miles a year. So I'm constantly being told what is not awesome about me because it's, it's impossible to satisfy every consumer. And so I think a big blind spot I had early on was knowing how to reconcile that failure 
and then realizing that that's that's just part of the game with being an entrepreneur and somebody that puts skin out there and I'd rather I'd much rather be criticized by the masses than just sit on my hands and do nothing you know that's just yeah, you have, but you have to learn that the loudest booze come from the cheapest seats. I think one of the biggest blind spots to that point I did recognize is I have a horrible tendency to turn the one to three percent into the majority. Meaning that if I feel like you know one to, and this just goes with humanity's negativity bias, if one to three percent of people seem hard to kind of move to action, or you know somebody didn't like this or didn't like that, man, it used to gnaw on me. It used to gnaw on me so much, and I, I would forget about all the supporters that I would have all the people being like, yeah, man, keep going, keep doing this, keep going. Uh, and, and instead I'd turn this, I, I'd turn, you know, these little tiny molehills into monsters. And I would just feel like what I'm doing is not making an impact. People are ungrateful, blah, 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 blah. You know, cause nobody sees behind the scenes work that goes into the production of a podcast episode or three years of writing a book or all the other things, right? People just consume. And in a way, some people, I, I love human beings, but they are parasites. You know, the entitlement that comes from constant consuming and expectation, the knowledge is owed to me. You need to give me everything. I mean, I remember once, you know, we we openly advertised one of our courses as super interactive, not death by PowerPoint, anything like that, right? And if we do have a lot of PowerPoint, sometimes we're just on that slide for like a minute, you know, or maybe even a second. It might just be a point. But anyway, we openly advertise it. Like it's impossible not to understand that. And somebody comes and after day one, I'm like, you know, how you doing? He's like, oh, I love it. This is game changing. This is going to change every way. Cool. So halfway through day two, how you doing? You know, you check in with people. Great, great, great. Then writes us the most God awful review saying there weren't enough slides. There needed to be more PowerPoint. Now, mind you, there were 326 slides that were shared throughout the entire weekend, 326 and advertised as a non-death by PowerPoint clinic. And this person, despite checking in, you know, is like, but then you just realize some people are just like that. You know, conversely, we had somebody that the entire two days complained and we thought she hated it of this brand builder clinic we did. And then on the back end, she gave us the nicest recommendation, said it changed your business. So you just, you know, man, people don't really know how to express what they feel all the time. And, and that's a manifestation of many other things in their life. And so I learned how to not internalize that so much and just keep plugging. You're a quarterback for a team. You're going to throw an interception. It is what it is. I don't know one pro athlete that I coach that has never gotten booed. Yeah, I think that there's so many uh, important pieces that you just hit on that I want to kind of reiterate. One is the negativity bias, right? I've talked about this probably more than anything else. I, I teach multiple courses and coaching every single one has a section on negativity bias because to me, this is the most important thing. We are inherently inclined to pay more attention to the negative, right? Again, it's a safety thing. And as you just said, that one, the negative might only be one to 3%, 5%. They might be the one review, but that's the thing we go back to that one, that one troll, especially in social media days, these voices are amplified. So having a way to not let that gnaw at you is so important because it's going to be there, right? That this is the whole thing. It's because the opposite of, you know, it, it, that would be perfection. And we know that perfection is not real, right? To say that I'm just going to have a hundred five-star reviews, zero, like once are like on my podcast, I have like, I think at the time of recording this, like 70 something uh, reviews on my Apple podcast, which are, we know are powerful, right? And they're like, I have like the 4.9, almost five, five stars because I have like 70 something five-star reviews. And then there's two three-star reviews and they're three, they're not one. They're just like, yeah, like Paul is cool, but I didn't like when he said this. And it's such yeah. like, 
And I just like read it and like, I didn't like think it. I just laughed because it's just like, it's just like, that's like real, you know, it, it would be, it would be ludicrous of me to think that forever as I grow this podcast and more and more people listen that I just always going to stay five stars forever. So and if you need it, if you need it, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, if you right. need, if you need that kind of adulation and all that, I mean, like there used to be this old Zig Zagler where it was Zig Ziglar. I can't remember a quote of, if you want to be liked by everybody, sell ice cream, but even that wouldn't, you couldn't yeah. do that anymore because right. then somebody's lactose intolerant, you know? So, uh, yeah, just, I, I think that's why you got to get around other people that know what it's like to put skin in the game like that, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I also, I learned this a long time ago about physical looks. Um, because I remember I used to have a, a beard, a big beard. Right. And I remember like everyone was talking about beards are so in right now. Right. It's like, oh, the girls love the beards. The girls love the beards. Like just grow your beard and they look at all the girls. And I would have like, literally I'd be walking down the street in New York city and like girls would like stop me on the street and be like, oh my God, like your beard, can I touch it? And I was like, oh, it's cool. And then I meet another girl and they'd be like, you need to get that dead animal off your face. Like you look disgusting. And I'm like, oh, okay. Everybody. And then the same thing at the gym, right? I'd be working at the gym. I'd be getting lean, you know? And then, you know, you know how it is at the gym when you you think that it's going to be the girls who talk to you, but it's never the girls. It's the guys coming up to you. It's like, oh, bro, you look like you're, you look like you get lean. You've been, you've been cutting. I'm like, yeah, dude. And then some other kid would come up to me. He's like, yo, dude, you look like you're losing weight. You kind of like, what's going on? And then as soon as I start bulking, it's the opposite. One dude, yo, dude, you look like you're putting on some weight. You're looking big. Another guy, dude, you look at you were looking lean before. What happened? You're you're getting a, you're getting a little like a little fluffy there. And it's just like I realized, like, oh, you're just never going to please everyone. And at the moment I try to, I'm inherently setting myself for, up for failure and discomfort. So I'd rather just be like, I understand before I start any journey that there are going to be some mates and yours. There are going to be some people who tell me when I just now I quit my job. You know, I think there are people who are telling me, no, this is a good job. You have a good, you have a good thing going. You got the insurance, you got the thing, you got the safety. And I, I like, not that they were trying to harm me or anything. That's just that everyone is different and we all have, we all come from a different viewpoint. And it's kind of that whole, uh, the, the concept of sonder. I don't know if you've heard this term before, but the, the word sonder, it's like the realization that every person that you interact with has a, le a life as deeply meaningful and, and intricate as yours. So that, that woman who just delivered you your food or the, the guy who checked you out at the grocery store, you think of them as like NPCs in the game of your life. They don't just disappear off the screen when you, when you leave the door, you know, they, their life is just as, as tricky as yours. So it's like, we think of everything is from the viewpoint of me, your, your life happens through the, it's a lack of, of you. theory of mind. Right. Right. So, so like when we start to see it that way, it's like, it's not, it's not that even someone gives me a negative review or someone doesn't like what I'm doing, it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with where they are in their life. Maybe they, you know, maybe it really wasn't for them. You know, Seth Godin has a really good, uh, he talks about reading, reading Amazon reviews. And he says that there's no point to read one-star reviews because all a one-star review tells someone is that this wasn't for me. It doesn't have anything to actually to do with the quality of the book. It just means that this was not a book that I should have read. You know, and that's how it is with everything in life. And that we should, if we could start to think about things that way, it's much more freeing because you don't have to fixate on that 1%. And as you said, there's so much good that you're doing in the world. And there's so much good that you are helping people think about that. You know, you'd have a, a workshop with 50 people and 48 of them leave, leave glowing. And you're thinking about the, the two people who aren't is like, it's the, the definition of insanity, you know? Sure. Yeah. I mean, and again, that's why we need more people to actually put skin in the game because there'd be less critics of things if they actually knew what it took you know bottom line but we have a we have by and large a society and it won't it'll never change it'll never change in terms of the ratio 
because just by and large, the law of large numbers and how hard it is to actually build and create and deliver and ship, uh, it just is going to be what it's going to be. You're always going to have more kind of armchair experts than anything else. Yeah, for sure. And for anyone you know listening again, who is like kind of on the, the, the precipice of wanting to try something, to put yourself out there, to be a creator, to do stuff, realize exactly as Brett just said, most people will not do this, right? So if you scroll Instagram, there's what, 2 billion people on Instagram. I think 2% are creators. Most people are consumers. Same thing on Twitter, same thing on, you know, any social media thing. So we get caught up in this thing, but realize that just by the fact of you putting yourself out there, you're doing more than most. You're putting skin in the game, as, as Brett said. And that's a very powerful thing because you're taking away your safety and that is hard. And that's why most people won't do it. So, you know, and that, and that's why it leads to, you know, the, the fame and the accolades or whatever, not always, but it can, because it, you know, it's you with no risk comes no reward. So I think that it's just an important thing for, for people to realize that like, if it were easy, everyone would do it. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And that's why you should keep doing hard things. Cause you don't want to be like everyone. Right. Exactly. All right. Awesome. I mean, I love this talk and I could keep going with you forever, but I do want to be respectful of your time. I know you have a, a busy day already. So my last question that I want to leave you with that I ask every guest before I let them go is you could give listeners one action step that to start living a healthier, happier life. As soon as they take their headphones off right here today, what would that be? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm biased. I'm going to say work more on your communication. Most people don't train it. Like at, you go to the gym, you work on your finances, but you actually need to get coached and learn how to communicate. It'll literally impact every single area of your life. Um, and so, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pitch everything, but Paul will put the links down below. If people don't want that, you know, I'll just give them something more esoteric, care more. The average person just doesn't give a shit. They don't think they're a problem. They don't try to get better. They don't get out of their comfort zone. They find excuses. Oh, I don't have the time. I don't have the money. You know, I don't know one person that wakes up every day and says, oh my God, I have so much time and so much money. So I just think that people need to quit listening to their own BS. They need to get out there and do more things that are kind of intimidating to them. And they need to realize that on the other side of that is a lot of freedom and a lot of happiness. Uh, but you do have to adapt. You do have to evolve. And those things don't come for free. They don't come cheap. And they, uh, they also don't come quick or easy. And those are the things worth doing. So, you know, they, it's kind of like they say every good story must have a, a character with a goal and a relatable obstacle. I mean, I don't know one story where somebody doesn't have to overcome significant hardship. So get busy. I love that. Care more. I think that that's, that's such a great uh, place to leave this. So, uh, Brett, thank you so much for being here. I really do appreciate it. My pleasure, Paul. Talk to you soon. All right. That's it for today. As always, thank you for being here. I hope you got a lot out of this episode, and I appreciate you taking the time to listen during your workout, your walk, your commute, or whatever else it is you're doing. If you got some value out of this episode, I encourage you to hit that little share button and send it to a friend. I personally always share podcasts with my friends and family, and they are always grateful for it because it's a way we can all learn and grow together. If you want to help support my show and help me grow, leave an honest rating review in iTunes. And if you really love what I'm doing here and want to support the show, you can click the link in the show notes to buy me a coffee. I self-fund this podcast with no ads and no sponsors just because I want to help more people live healthy, happy lives. If you believe in the mission like I do and want to help me grow, then that is a small way that you can get involved. Thank you again for your love, your listens, and your support, and I'll see you here next week. But until then, stay healthy, stay happy, my friends.